All right, all right. Welcome back to the No Greater Joy podcast. This is, uh, what are we at, episode five, and I'm excited about uh, what we have planned, uh, but it's brought to you from the past by the pastors at uh, Grace Baptist Church, who all of us have a heart and desire for our people to know greater joy and to follow Jesus and to love him with their whole heart. And uh, my name is Steve Strong, lead pastor here. We got Ryan Atkins serving in the Timothy position. Andreas Bailey, serving as the associate pastor. And we are convinced that uh, there is no greater joy uh, than when God's people step into the three areas that we tend to, that we want to focus on here. Grace, being a 24-7 worshiper, being a go person, and being an alongsider. And I'm excited because this podcast, this episode, uh, we've talked about wanting to, to have some guests, and we have our very first guest with us, and... Um, going to really kind of hope that uh, his heart spills over into the hearts of our people, and I'm happy to have Jonathan with us. He is no stranger to the people at Grace. I think you filled the pulpit uh, at least twice for us, and he's been uh, a guest speaker on some of our weekend seminars, um, and so Jonathan, really glad that you're, you're with us. Glad that you're here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Our pleasure and our joy. Um, so just want a couple questions. Obviously, there's going to be some people that uh, maybe aren't familiar with who John is, who your family is. Uh, why don't you just take a minute, share us a little bit about, tell us about yourself, about your family, and uh, maybe how you came to know Jesus Christ. Yeah, sure. That's a good way to start. So I'm going to go way back um, to my, my early years, and um, I actually my early years were spent in Hartville, if you guys know where that is, uh, just between Akron and Canton. Hartville of, uh, Kitchen is all that I know about the Hartville. The Hartville area. Kitchen yeah, is there, right. yeah, and we would we would visit that <laughs> Food, frequently. It's delicious. actually, it was a town that was um, initially predominantly Amish and and former Amish, like in the Mennonite community. Mm-hmm. And so my dad was the principal at the, um, let's see, what was the name of it? Lake Center Christian School. Um, and so I grew up in a Christian home. Um, interestingly, even though my dad was the principal. They homeschooled us. <laughs> oh, interesting. And uh, so we did not realize how progressive my parents really were at the time. I mean, we were doing home birthing way before that was popular in the 2000s. We were doing uh, organic, growing our own food, raising goats, um, the whole nine yards. Wow. We were all, we were as, all in. We were all wow. in. As kids, we were thoroughly embarrassed by, by some of my parents' eccentricities. <laughs> and now, like, 30 years later, all these things are the rage in, yeah. in California and stuff. So it's, They're it's cool kind, of, now. kind of funny. <laughs> they are, yeah. We, and we joke about it a lot now, yeah. how our parents were ahead of their time. But um, yeah, so grew up in a Christian family. My parents loved the Lord. Uh, they had come to Christ in Campus Crusade when they were in college in their early 20s. And so they were passionate. They were, they were all in um, and shared the gospel with us. I accepted Christ when I was eight. Uh, I, I distinctly remember being angry with my older brother and sister about something and just feeling this sense of anger and resentment and even hatred towards them as a result of this conflict. And it was into that moment that my, my mom really spoke to me about how Christ could cleanse me of that, um, that, that anger mm. and, and wash me and cleanse me of my sin through his death and resurrection. And 
um, there was a real sense of conviction of sin in that moment and a real awareness that it was only through Christ that I could be cleansed. And so I trusted Christ at eight and then um, grew in my faith. I went to, later we moved to Akron. I attended Cuyahoga Valley Christian Academy as a, as a high school student and continued growing in my faith there. I remember when I was 14 or 15, I, I went through a serious time of depression, and that was really one of the first bouts of depression I had experienced, um, although that honestly has been uh, a lifelong reality for me. I just uh, tend to struggle in that way with melancholy, I guess you could say, or introspection. And it was a season of depression, and I, I remember as a 14-year-old just kind of looking down all the, the different trajectories of life and, you know, the, the different pursuits of pursuit of success, pursuit of wealth, pursuit of pleasure, pursuit of all these different pursuits. And just I, it was almost as if the Holy Spirit gave me the foresight to see that all of those were ultimately going to be dead ends and that there was really no meaning in life and to life apart from our creator and our redeemer. And so that I would say that kind of the gospel sunk even deeper to me at that point in my life. Um, when I when I entered college, I went to the University of Akron, as you know, perhaps many college students can struggle with it. You're just confronted with a lot of freedom and some significant choices you know, about how you're going to live. And it was in that context that even though I was in some ways walking with the Lord, I made some, some significant mistakes. And that was a season where the gospel made, came to be even more precious to me uh, because I think I, I, the way I look at it is there's the story of, of Jesus and the adulterer mm-hmm. is thrown down before him and the religious leaders are about to stone her and Jesus says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And I think up until that point, as this little kind of sometimes self-righteous Christian kid, I often would identify with either the religious leaders tempting to, tempted to judge people or Jesus challenging others to extend mercy. But it was the first time that I actually saw my own depravity and that I was the adulterer. Hmm that I had no righteousness, no purity, no goodness to give to God. And it wasn't just an issue of God being kind of fortunate to have this talented kid on his team. (laughs) It was like, no, I was the one that had nothing to bring him. Hmm. And yet he was coming to me in mercy and grace and to give me a new purpose. And so that there have been different, those different moments in my life where I feel like the truths that I heard as a, as a kid have become more precious. Wow. Praise God. Praise God yeah. just for, you know, faithful families, you yep. know, your parents. I, you know, that's, that's thankful for just parents who love the Lord, grandparents in my case, who love the Lord. Um, you know, we tend to think maybe those are, uh, Oh, there's no story there. You know, that that's a, what a tribute. So praise God for that. Mm-hmm. Now you're married. Right? Yes, I am. You are married. Tell yes. us about your family now. Yes, my wife Megan and I have been married for 14 years uh, in May, and uh, we have three children: um, Jude, Elijah, and Eden. They're ages 10, 8, and 5. Great. So they're a gift to us. So you're busy. We are busy. Yes, we are busy. Uh, but it's 
I, I would say, like, I have a friend who just, they just had their third child, and they're in that kind of, like, five, three, and zero phase, and yes. I was like, dude, <laughs> you're in the you're in the weeds right now yeah. you know yeah. you're just uh, from a physical and emotional standpoint i found the that season to be really exhausting yep. and now that my kids are they're in school actually they attend here Westside christian academy and it's kind of like we're sending them off each day and there's a little bit more breathing room yep. i think but just different it's busy in different ways in all the different stages yes but joys nonetheless yes absolutely so. So tell us a little bit about um, the your ministry and how you came to how you came to that ministry and uh, I don't know, just give a little bit of history of that. Yeah, well, I was kind of always interested in cross cultural things. I mean, even as a kid, I was a little odd. Um, I remember being like a ten year old kid on our in our small farm in Hartville and. You know, when we would play kind of the whole Cowboys and Indians thing, I always identified with the Indians more than the Cowboys. <laughs> so I'm not sure. That should have been a warning sign that I was headed for something cross-cultural as an adult. Um, but, um, and even as a high schooler, I was thinking of moving out and doing work on Indian reservations. So there was a burden for cross-cultural work. Mm-hmm. But um, in college, I was involved in a very uh, dynamic college ministry in Akron through the chapel in Akron. And we took short-term trips um, throughout the year, and they were taking trips overseas. So mm-hmm. one year we were traveling to um, China. The next year we were traveling to Turkey. Um, and I got a, a chance to participate in those, and it was, I remember very distinctly, um, I think I've shared this story with, with some of your folks before, but where I was driving through the mountain, a mountain pass in, in Turkey, and we were looking down over the city of about a half million people, and hearing them say, to the best of our knowledge, we're not aware of a single believer hmm. and in the city. And that just really struck a chord with me. Like the Lord just kind of drove that into my heart um, about, and, and a phrase that a lot of missionaries will use is that all people are equally lost without Christ, but not all people are equally unreached. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. there, there's certain realities. I, I remember coming home, and at, you know, at the time we were still using the big old phone books, which I think are pretty much obsolete now. But <laughs> the I remember going through the Yellow Pages, and in Akron, where I was living at the time, there were 14 Yellow Pages of churches in Akron. Wow. You know, um, Akron's not a half million people. Um, and uh, granted, probably a decent percentage of those maybe had lost the gospel in, in some sense, but there were still there was still a gospel presence where it was being proclaimed, where people had coworkers, neighbors, cousins, family friends, someone who knew the gospel. But in these countries, um, and particularly in the 1040 window, there, there just there, there wasn't the opportunity. Like if someone had a curiosity even about what do Christians truly believe, there was really very little opportunity for them to get answers. Um, interestingly, I think that's one of the amazing things about the internet. You just see how even in the, in the broad scope of history, I really believe that the internet and just uh, international travel by plane, you know, you jump on a plane and you're on the other side of the world in 12 hours, um, that God is using that for the sake of the spread of the gospel mm-hmm. to give people access mm-hmm. that never have had access before. But that, that was a real uh, moment for me there in Turkey. And I remember I was just ready to drop out of college and just move, Yeah, you know. And I remember our contact there saying, you know, no, 
finish your degree. <laughs> uh, don't rush this. And, and then um, there are probably Turkish <clears throat> students at the University of Akron. And so I came back, and the Lord opened the door for me to build relationships with some Turkish students there, um, some of then other additional Muslim students. And that was a, a point where I, I really developed a, a burden specifically for Muslim peoples and um, was really ready to go and, and ended up getting my master's degree while in Akron um, through a Trinity Extension site there in hopes of going to the mission field, but then realizing that I just didn't have the maturity spiritual maturity. I didn't have the pastoral training. Um, and I just didn't feel like I had the, I, I was ready to pursue going abroad. And so ended up staying in the States. But years later, the Lord kind of reopened that opportunity through students um, at Tri-C and, and building relationships with some conversation partners there. And um, this would have been in back in, my wife and I had been married for about um, five years at this point. We were we were still open and interested in serving inter- internationally or internationals, but we didn't know how. And that's when I formed a relationship with, with Tri-C where I was a conversation partner to help students practice English and asked for Middle Eastern students specifically. And they said, how many do you want? We're being completely overrun, so to speak, with, with all these students from Saudi Arabia. And so this was back in 2012. And it really was a point where I felt like the Lord said, this is what I'm calling you to right now. So I began building relationships with the, the Saudi guys, having no idea what I was getting into. I had, I mean, all most of us remember 9-11 mm-hmm. and, you know, seeing flashes on television of the Muslim world celebrating 9-11, particularly from these really hardcore places like Saudi Arabia. And so I, I, I still remember sitting down with my first Saudis and, and saying, not initially, not in the first conversation, but asking them, what is your take on 9-11? You know, what, were you guys celebrating or were you mourning? You know, I just had no idea. It was, it, there was kind of like this wall of their cultural experience that was completely separate from my own. And that was... A, a, um, just opened up a, a beautiful season really for us over the last eight years of investing our lives in, in particularly in Saudi students, but then in joining international friendships in 2015, going full-time vocationally in international student ministry and, and interacting with a lot of other nationalities as well. Mm-hmm. So, One of the, we got some? I was just going to ask, what was your undergrad major? So um, I was or, very- Or majors. In, yeah, I was very <laughs> indecisive. Me too, brother. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I changed like five times. And Amen. um, Yeah, I was there for six years and actually loved most of my my college. (laughs) I loved all six years of it, as crazy as that sounds. But um, it was that way for kindergarten with me. Really? It was great. And and then it went downhill from that. Oh, for all all six six years. years. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I ended up with a degree in English. With okay. a focus on teaching English as a second language. Okay, uh, cool. Thinking I was eventually going to go overseas. I also spent a significant of time, amount of time studying the performing arts. Oh, okay. And, and I studied theater. I studied dance, believe it or not, and, and loved it. Mm-hmm. And um, I had never done any of the performing arts until college. So my minor, believe it or not, is in dance. Okay. I might be the first 
dude that you've met that can say that, but it was yeah. it was an amazing experience. I loved it. So I think we just cool. added a question and element here to the podcast of uh, show us your best move. Yeah. No, I'm, dude, I'm taking that man on my team if we're doing dance dance revolution all right well the crazy thing is i'm i'm terrible at like social dancing like <laughs> oh at man. weddings but and choreographed every, every weddings and everything like that i just i have no idea what i'm doing i feel mm. embarrassed i feel awkward just probably like everybody else um but if it's choreographed you kill but, it yeah if if it's if it's <laughs> if there's another side to dance which if you talk to a lot of dancers they'll tell you that um it's actually a love of music that moves them to to want to to dance and they love music they love getting inside the music just with their bodies physically and so Mm -hmm. yeah um can i this isn't on here so um you know you talked about it seemed your college years was obviously you're exploring it seems Mm -hmm. you know you your your time in turkey you know don't rush you felt like you weren't ready get your degree. Um, but you still had a, you still had, it seems a, uh, that growing desire, that fire for international ministry for ministry. Um, you know, what, what would you tell to, you know, any of our college students, high school students, or even adults maybe that are like, you know, feeling like that desire, but not, feeling either ready or not rushing someone who is like still trying to figure out i have this desire but i don't know where to go with it or or whatever i don't know if you could i don't know how you handled that or if you look back at that time you know what did you learn what would you say to someone maybe in the same position that you were in well i've kind of heard over the years two different visions for how this kind of transition into missions happens and even what is the most strategic way to engage in missions so you have some people that are just like everybody go you know i don't care if you're 16 18 20 you know 80 go go to the unreached you know and then on the other hand there's people that say wait a second what is really most needed and what we see with like paul for example being sent out you know they sent out the cream of the crop and they sent out someone who had a very clear calling to this ministry, cross-cultural work, and that was in a position to kind of plant churches and disciple individuals into maturity, like future elders. And so those are two very different visions kind of for what missions looks like. And I think especially in my in my 20s and I think I I think I still lean in this direction. I, I really saw the the benefit of the, the kind of vision of sending out the Pauls. And so what when I thought about going out and planting a church, discipling potentially future church leaders, mentoring pastors. I was a 23-year-old kid. I wasn't yeah. ready to mentor a pastor, <laughs> you know? And even though I had been working at a church, at the chapel, which was a mega church, in a mega church, you end up getting kind of pigeonholed into a particular role where you're really good at it, but you don't get as much of the broader pastoral experience of walking with people through suffering, walking with people through death, through the miscarriages, through marriage counseling, through challenges with their children, through you know all those struggles in life. As a 23-year-old, focusing on creative arts, which is what I was doing at the chapel, I, I just realized, like, 
I don't have, I'm not ready for that. I'm not, I'm not ready for a broad, um, to, to mentor pastors, basically. So that, that was what gave me pause. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I also think that there is a, I felt it in my own soul. There was enough of a temptation towards sin and throwing myself into a lifestyle of sin that I knew if I were removed from just kind of the, the general network of family, of friends, of support, to having complete anonymity in a foreign mm. city where it's kind of like you can do whatever you want. No one's going to know. You know, I just realized like, ah, you know, there might be a 99% chance of the time that I, that I have the, the self-control and the, the discipline to, to, to do what's right. But I felt there was a vulnerability within me. And, and so that's one of the things where I, I've come to really value team ministry. And I see why Jesus sent people out two by two. Um, and I see why Paul traveled with a whole team. Jesus mm-hmm. traveled with a team. Like the whole Lone Ranger thing is, is, is very prevalent within pe- people who are willing to go cross-culturally. But I think it's very dangerous. Mm-hmm. And so um, those are some of the reasons that gave me pause. So what would you encourage maybe a high school student or a college student who has kind of those desires but has no idea what to do where they don't feel ready or whatever? What would you, how would you encourage them? I, that's, that's tricky because some people kind of, I think, lean towards saying, oh, just live life a little bit, mature, grow in your faith. You know, I, I think there's a really a benefit to kind of exploring and taking steps under the guidance of your pastor, or other uh, experienced missionaries about what does this look like? Mm-hmm. What is life really on the ground like? And so maybe there's opportunities to travel overseas or cross-culturally for a month or something or, or three months. You want to, you want to get a little bit out of that honeymoon phase because, um, as, as one guy said, um, Jesus is glorious, missions is not glorious. Yeah. <laughs> but we sometimes want to present it that way, and sometimes initially it feels that way. But I think anybody who's been in the trenches for a while say that, that <laughs> some of that, the rose-colored glasses eventually yeah, come yeah, off, yeah. and you realize there is some suffering that invo- is involved. And that's true of, for all Christians, actually. But um, So I think, you know, gain exposure, and, and, and there's... so. You know, find some missionaries whom you respect that would be willing to give you some exposure to their work and allow you to participate in that. But also, I think it's helpful to have a practical skill. So I think the missionary was dead on when he said, go home and get your degree. Mm-hmm. Um, more and more in the creative access countries, it's really helpful if you, if you have a practical skill and training and expertise in an area. Um, and then also another thing I'd say is, is make sure that you are living a gospel-centered life here and now and not imagining that by getting on that plane and going overseas that it's somehow going to change who you are. Um, And find, if you're not, if you're not in a discipling relationship here, if you're not seeking to disciple others and share your faith with others, that needs to start here. And that's actually one thing I love about what we do with international students is because we, we can give locals, local Americans who have a vision for cross-cultural ministry to actually kind of the, the, the opportunity to begin stretching a little bit and growing into building some of these potentially discipleship relationships yep. right here yep. without even needing to go. Yep. I think that's great. Just encouraging. Don't just wait for the opportunity in the future. You know, step into those areas where you are now, whatever it is that you're doing in your church discipleship, 
they're, you know, and we're fortunate to have so many viable ministries outside of the local churches to be able to volunteer and to step in to get exposure in, in, in ministry. Um, take those steps. And I think that's a good segue um, to international friendships, inter- friends. Um, tell us a little bit about that ministry in particular. Um, it, you didn't start it. You stepped into it. Uh, what is What was it that kind of drew you to it? Um, so just tell us a little bit what that looks like. Because it's all kind of right here in Cleveland. At least your ministry is in Cleveland here or so, right? Right. Yeah, it's actually International Friendships, Inc. Inc. And the Inc. is uh, for In the Name of Christ. Not incorporated. Right. So Perfect. So I some like people that. are like, what is, you say IFI, what is the I Mind stand for? Mind blown. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> great. Good. That's yeah. awesome. It's not just there for legal protection. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And it, honestly, if it were up to yeah. me, I'd try to just drop the... Yeah the ink because everybody's like what does that mean but yeah um yeah so you know in the i think it was in the 1980s 90s there was a a significant rise in international students coming to the u.s especially from countries like china um to to gain higher education and so there was a response in Cleveland, as there has is around the country, of, of Christians saying, okay, what do we do about this? This is a unique opportunity. How do we rise to the occasion? And so um, from what I understand, um, the, uh, a man named Tom Wright and his, um, his wife, um, Tom attended, I think at the time, Cuyahoga Valley uh, Church, um, but they said we need, to, we need to respond to this. So they basically organized a ministry that was called International Friends, and it was a Cleveland-based a parachurch ministry that was made up of Christians from a number of partner churches who had the vision of welcoming students and serving them. So they would they they began by just kind of assessing the needs of students. What what did they need? They needed airport pickup. They needed temporary housing when they first arrived. They needed furniture. They needed the opportunity to kind of explore the region and see um, see Cleveland. They needed the chance to build relationships with Americans. Um, and obviously, they also needed to hear the gospel. And so that was that was their vision. And um, uh, Tom and his wife led the ministry for, for many years. Um, when he was preparing to retire, he was looking for someone else to lead the ministry and identified Art Wells, who was down serving with a, a larger regional international student ministry called International Friendships, Inc., IFI. Um, that was Columbus-based and had a huge ministry to um, students at Ohio State. And um, Art was on staff there in Columbus, and when he heard about the opportunity to direct the work here in Cleveland, he and Chris and his wife moved up to, to Cleveland. They were leading the ministry for a couple of years, and then um, that, that was when I was involved. I, my wife and I had kind of started this little outreach called Sojourn Homestays, where we were just helping Saudis primarily we were doing what we called open tables, open rooms, open tables where they could have meals with American families, open rooms where we would rent out rooms in our homes to them um, long term. And um, and I was feeling called to go full time into student ministry. And I was trying to decide, do I start something new or do I join with what's already in existence? And as I prayed about that, I just felt like the Lord was was very clear. Join with what I've already been doing over the last few decades in Cleveland. Don't start your, and I, 
that again speaks to that Lone Ranger. I, I can be a Lone Ranger sometime, and the Lord has sanctified me over the years <laughs> of realizing, like, I don't need to start my own thing. Like, why not join yeah. with something, yeah, you know? That's good. There's that saying, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Yeah. yeah. And um, so I joined with International Friendships at that time, and then Art ended up transitioning off. He's a real estate agent now. Um, and so I ended up with the role of director of our ministry here in Cleveland. Um, and that's, that's a little bit about what we do. Um, we, we do much the same thing as International Friendships did from the very beginning, right? International Friends. We, we welcome students. We, we seek to ensure that while they're here in Cleveland, they, are, they are, receive a warm welcome. And we try to care, the way I, I see it is we, we try to care for all of their needs. We want to care for their, their physical needs, if it's finding housing or, um, you know, getting a ride here or there. But we also want to care for their emotional, uh, relational needs, their spiritual needs as well. So it, I see it as a, a, a full package. It's not like, hey, we're going to offer you a couch in hopes that you're going to come to our Bible study. Mm-hmm. That's not how, we, it's not a bait and switch. It is, we want, to, we want to care for you. We want you to thrive. We want you to succeed. And we believe that part of that is we want to connect you with your creator <laughs> yep. through Christ. Um, but that's just a part of what we do. And, and I think that helps us to maintain good relationships with the student community, that they realize we're not trying to manipulate them. Um, you know, there, there's a, a perception of missions in a lot of these countries, such as India, where they... It, it's so interesting the contrast of what they see versus what the, the American Christians see. Americans Christians say, "We're going to go into India and we're going to care for the least of these. We are going to care for the the poor, the orphaned. The, we're going to work in the slums, and we're going to try to provide food. We're gonna we're gonna invest in them, and in and also and we're gonna share the gospel with them. What the the other community is seeing is." Oh, these Western Christians are coming in, and they're paying people to become Christian. So hmm. they're going into the the most vulnerable in our society, and they're saying, "We'll feed you, we'll clothe you, we'll house you if you become a Christian." So they, it it seems very manipulative mm-hmm. to them, and so um, that's where we just want to avoid any sense of we're doing this for this. This is not. We're not trying to negotiate something here. We're, we're simply trying to care for them. Yep. So how do you get connections with these students? Do you, they get assigned to you? Do you – obviously, there's a relationship with the universities and colleges. So maybe just kind of use a hypothetical student, and how does that process go? What does it normally look like, if that makes sense? I don't know. Sure. So – we, by God's grace, we have a great relationship with the universities um, like Cleveland State, Case Western, Lorain County Community College, um, Baldwin Wallace. And what they recognize is that though they are sometimes a little skeptical of us as a faith-based organization, they're, they're concerned that we will be aggressively proselytizing or um, pushing something that would make their students feel uncomfortable. Um, I think once we get past that and they realize that we're really wanting to help students just to thrive, Mm -hmm. um, then um, they, you know, we may have opportunity to set up a table at at a orientation for new students and to talk with them a little bit about what we're about and what we can offer them. And then um, students may attend one of our welcome parties or welcome dinners 
and get connected with us. And then we, we have a communication both sometimes through the university, sometimes it's directly to students once we have their contact information where they, they know what's going on and, and they might be invited to a monthly activity, a hiking trip, a biking trip, Niagara Falls, Cedar Point, those kinds of experiences. Um, they might be invited to sign up to have dinner in an American home. Um, they may uh, have an opportunity. We, every year we've been doing this, we call it a, uh, a fall getaway where we take students camping for a weekend and that's grown to be like 130 people. And, and then, and so through all of those things, we're building relationships with them. And then um, they're also invited to what we, we call it either a family group or a dinner and discussion, which is where we have weekly gatherings of meals, games, and then we open the Word of God together and discuss a story uh, from Scripture. So that's kind of the, the process. Um, some students are still asking to live with Americans, and so that's something that my wife have done and I have done for eight years now as we've had internationals living with us. Uh, we have two students with us now, one from Saudi Arabia and one from India, and that's just a normal part of our life. You know, mm-hmm. and, and, and when students have that need or desire to live with host, we try to find host families for them. And you just find that out just in conversation? Yeah, I mean, needs or? Uh, for okay, so for example, with the housing needs, it's all word of mouth. I've never mm-hmm. advertised, I've never promoted that in any way to students it's all been word of mouth oh you need you want to live with someone jonathan talk to jonathan and students you know social media is amazing thing the students have these whatsapp groups of anywhere from 50 to you know it could be five or six hundred people part of the whatsapp groups and so they're they're sharing information constantly with each other and there's instagram there's snapchat you know when students come on like our fall getaway went from 17 students the first year because no one knew what to expect. Sure. And then everyone else was watching their Snapchats, <laughs> you know, from the weekend and was like, wow, when that comes around, I want to do that too. And so it's, it's just word of mouth. And it's, it's a beautiful thing, actually. It's amazing. Yeah. Great. What um, uh, kind of pair of these couple questions, what, what excites you the most about your ministry, and then probably in a very similar way, what what gives you the most joy? So you said, what excites me? What excites you the most? Okay, you know about what you're doing. Yeah, I think the one of the most exciting, and I don't know, I don't mean to like. Simpl- oversimplify the question because also it's also one of the most joyful things for me is when I'm able to share the gospel with a new friend for perhaps international friend who has never never talked with a Christian before and has never heard what the gospel is wow. that is I mean, there, there are very few things that I enjoy more than that or being invited over to a student's apartment and I'm sitting there and, you know, there are maybe five or six guys sitting around the room. Oftentimes we're on the sofas or on, on the floor is common. And we're just chatting. Maybe we're having tea and dates or maybe we're, we're eating dinner together. And somehow the conversation, the Lord opens the door to talk about Christ and I get to correct misconceptions they have um, I get to 
try to explain the gospel in a way that they would understand. And, and I think it's interesting because I mentioned my interest in the creative arts and performing arts and whatnot. And I think there's a, a creativity that God's given me that now, even though I'm not in the performing arts, I get to use that creativity in those conversations mm-hmm. to try to read my audience and think, what are those, what are, the, what are their questions and how can I kind of speak into this moment right now? And so it may look, every conversation may look a little different, but I think that the Lord's given me a creativity that I, I love trying to get in there one way or another, you know, with the gospel. <clears throat> and so that, that's really one of the greatest joys of my, of my life. And think it's underrated and i i actually feel bad for christians who miss out on that Um, we can just so easily be surrounded by our kind of christian friends christian community that we are missing these opportunities of conversations to really correct misconceptions that people have um and 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 get in there and speak the truth you know i uh, uh, muslims have um uh, saying, you know, that God is um, God is the most gracious and most merciful, and I I really think that it, there's a lot of truth in Islam, and that's one of the true statements, <laughs> you know. And they the problem is they don't realize how gracious and how merciful He is. It, he's actually far more gracious and far merciful than they ever will find in 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 the Quran, you know, hmm. and. So that's my goal is to show them that he's actually more glorious than they realize. And um, it, it, it's, a, it's a gift when you get to have those conversations. So kind of I'm <clears throat> really glad that you've put it that way. That's kind of the heartbeat of <laughs> no greater joy, you know, and it, it does break our hearts that for me personally, but also that we we're missing out on the full joy that God has for us to step into those moments. Um, and, what might be, just kind of follow up with what you were saying, what might be some of those misconceptions that you've encountered just about the gospel or Christianity? Um, and what are some of those creative ways that you've found yourself maybe illustrating the gospel to kind of make it relatable? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, maybe the, the creative way that you were like, oh, that was so awesome. <laughs> you were so proud of yourself in that moment, or you're just thankful that God had mercy and He brought it to your mind. Oh man! But what were some of the what are so, some of the misconceptions? Okay. Well, I let think me that's just helpful. give you a disclaimer first. Some <laughs> some of these ways I'm sure are heretical. Okay. <laughs> so we'll so, put those. We'll put it in the show notes or something. Don't listen it, to that. This it, is all in parentheses right now. Yeah, that's right. I've heard I've heard some people say like the great the worst heresies in the church have always come through the evangelists because they're out there trying to explain the gospel. And they, oh, they make all kinds of mistakes. Uh, but um, so I hope these aren't too heretical. But the the uh, I'll give you an example because a lot of the work that I've done over the last eight years now it's trans has been with Muslims. Now it's transitioning now, and I'm having to relearn what does it look like to share the gospel with Hindus. Mm. which is a whole different world. Sure. And you kind of realize very quickly how much we have in common with Muslims versus Hindus in the sense that there's a worldview there that Muslims carry that is um, we can... Translatable or... It's very translatable. I mean, all the way from one God, one creator God who's created the world, designed the world, has an intention for the world, and that... that, God has spoken to us through the prophets, 
of how we are to live, what honors him, um, and that God is also a God of mercy, um, and that God, you know, most many of the prophets that they will reference are the same prophets. They, they know 70% of the story, sure. you know, of Joseph and other prophets. And then, and then also just this whole idea of, I mean, when it comes to Jesus, for example, a Muslim believes that Jesus, Jesus's birth was a miracle, that he was, it was a miraculous conception, that Mary was a virgin, that Jesus lived a perfect life, that Jesus healed the sick, raised the dead, brought the message of God, that Jesus is with God and will return again to judge the world and set things right. Like, there's a lot there to work with, yes. <laughs> you know? But uh, a Hindu doesn't really have a concept of that. So I'm still figuring out the Hindu mindset and worldview right now. I, I don't get it, to be honest with you. But um, there are bridges to the Hindu worldview just like there are to the Muslim worldview. But I'll give you an example of um, the, one, of the, one of the ideas that Muslims have is that, that Christians believe that there are three gods. So... They believe, actually, and it's referenced in the Quran, that it's um, the Father, the Son, and Mary. Um, so they're, you know, they were coming in contact, I think, with probably Catholic Christians who elevated Mary, um, and it was just misunderstood yeah. to being that Mary somehow is now part of the Trinity. So, um, you know, we I get to address that with them about that God is God is one and in three persons. Now, obviously, that's there's a lot of mystery surrounding that, but one of the ways that I kind of like to mess with them a little bit, you could say, is they'll say, well, that's impossible, you know, that there would be three three persons in God, and I'll, I'll ask them, so how many of you are there? And they'll say, well, one. And I'll say, really? So what about, what, what will happen when your body dies? Does anything live on? Well, yeah, my spirit lives on. Okay, so are you saying that there are two of you? You know, and then there's also the mind or the will, like the mm -hmm. rational component of human beings, which differentiates us from animals. So I, I will mess with them a little bit. I want them to recognize that even within the unity of uh, as who we are as people, we are, there's, there's one of us, there's also a complexity there that I think uh, well, obviously, it was is designed by God that there's a complexity to us, that there's a body, that there's a spirit, that there's a will or mind, rational component, and that these three make up, in some ways, one. And so, um, I, I know it's I know it's slightly heretical if you dig very deep there, <laughs> but it's the idea is I want them to recognize that there can be a complexity within oneness, um, and so that would be one example. Another thing is they. They view the reason that God would not allow Jesus to be crucified is that he would not allow his prophet or his, his man, so to speak, to suffer defeat in that way. And so I want them to see that actually his sacrifice was not defeat. It was victory. And so I'll talk about the reality of love. If you love someone, what is the greatest expression of that love and usually they'll get to the point where they'll recognize it's it's to give your life mm -hmm. it's to lay down your life for someone so does does laying down your life mean that you love them less or that you, you love them more it means you love them more and it is the ultimate expression of of love and and muslims already have a concept of the the beauty of god's attributes um, they talk a lot about like the 99 attributes of god so 
I, I want them to see that like God has those attributes even beyond what you can imagine. And that he has actually demonstrated his love. He has demonstrated his mercy to us through the cross. And then through the resurrection, where he obviously defeats um, sin and death, our greatest foe. And so um, I want them to just, I, I'm trying to reframe those, that idea of defeat versus victory so that they recognize that this is the ultimate expression of God's attributes. And, um, and, and I love to challenge them just about if God is both just and merciful, how, does, how can those attributes both be demonstrated simultaneously? And that is what we find in the cross mm-hmm. where God. And so what I find with Islam a lot of times is there, there's a lot of truth, but there's a lot of vague, a vague understanding of those attributes. Whereas in Christianity, what is vague and blurry over here becomes crystal clear and demonstrated through Christ. And um, so I, I, I always say to people, I just mentioned this yesterday to someone like, my, my aim is not just, if, if someone has currency in their hand and you just rip it out of their hand and tear it apart and you say, sorry, that was fake. Yep. They're going to fight you, you know, especially mm-hmm. if they've been using that currency all their lives. But if you can, if you can say, like, okay, I know you have currency. I want to show you, an, a, I want to, you know, maybe this framed copy of a dollar bill. <laughs> like, look at this. Feel this. This is actually real currency. And then they go back and they compare it to the currency they've been using. They feel that. They feel what you have. And then at some point, they may just, they may rip it up and throw it away because they recognize that it's, it's a counterfeit. And that's really the vision that we have is I, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to tear apart Islam. I'm not trying to, to insult Muhammad. I'm not trying to tell them that everything that they've ever been taught is wrong because, frankly, a lot of it's right. There's a lot of truth there. And there's a lot of truth in every culture, actually. But I want to. I want them to see the the reality of a, of the more glorious God that's in the pages of Scripture. So, just hearing you talk, how important is it to? And I could be really mean and be like, is it? What's more important to know and to understand the person that you're talking to or the content that you want to share with them? I think that we could go <laughs> around and around that. But how important is it to understand the person that you're sharing the gospel with? I think it's. I think it's important. I mean, I think it's important that we listen and, and listen. And like my, my, the reason I feel like I'm at square one with the Hindu students is because I, I haven't had the opportunity to listen to them unpack their kind of worldview and belief system as much as I have with Muslims because Muslims have been living with me for eight years. So, um, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's really important that we listen. And Tim Keller has a great line that I love where he talks about like walking the walls of someone's belief system and their life experiences. And then you take, when you find a crack, you, you shove the gospel as far down in that crack as you possibly can. And then when it detonates, it makes a lot of damage. But if you just set it on the surface, if you don't know where there's the opportunity to shove it in there, you're just, it's just going to explode and it's not going to make any real lasting difference. Yeah, we just in the previous episode we're talking. I think, in a in a very real way, that's what Jesus was doing. The Samaritan woman, with the rich young ruler, and uh, and Nicodemus. You know, of course, he had perfect knowledge. He understood 
and he put the gospel where their need was. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, I think that's super important. Kind of along those lines, kind of moving through our questions here, who, when you think about being what we would call a go person, an evangelist, however you want to put that, um, who in the Bible is your motivation? Who do you look to that is like, I want to be like that, and maybe why? Yeah, I mean, Paul is right up there at the top. I mean, in Romans 15, where he says that he makes it his ambition, you know, to take the gospel, to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named, that resonates with, I think, what God has called me to. Mm-hmm. Is there a passage of scripture that really you gravitate toward, that you appreciate? I mean, motivates you. that's significant. You know, Romans 10, where it talks about how will they hear, you know, mm-hmm. unless um, someone someone is essentially sent and someone speaks and, and brings the gospel to them. That, that's been very significant to me. Um, you know, it's interesting, the passage that I read uh, just before we began in in Psalm 67, it's echoed that, that impulse of may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. I think as Christians, it's so easy for me and, and others to be thinking about the first part of that passage. Mm-hmm. Of course, we want God to be gracious to us and bless us and to make his face shine upon us. And we stop there. And we don't see that there's this overarching storyline that's bigger than our lives that's happening throughout all of redemptive history that we're a part of. And when God is, is faithful to us, when God is gracious to us, when God is merciful to us, it's, it's not just that blessing is not an end in itself. It's, it's meant to, to be proclaimed, and it's meant to be shared, and it's mm-hmm. meant to be told so that Christ receives glory among all peoples. Um, the rightful glory. And so I, I remember years ago, my parents, you know, they loved the Lord, but they were a little bit skeptical of all of this, what I was doing with, um, with internationals. And I remember my mom, uh, I, it was like a Thanksgiving dinner and I wanted to invite some internationals. And my mom said, no, I think this is just, should just be family. And so I took this passage to her because they had taught us, you know, we were kind of like the Von Putnam family singers as, as kids. <laughs> My parents would parade us over to the nursing home and we would sing, you know, for, for folks, which I didn't really appreciate at the time, but I do now. Um, and one of the songs we would sing was, may God be gracious, you know, to, to you and bless you and make his face shine upon you. And, and then there were these like sevenfold amens, you know, sure. go on and on yeah, and on. Yeah. And, but the interesting thing about that song is it doesn't go that your way may be known on earth. And so I challenged my mom, like, what is the purpose of our family? What is the purpose of these family gatherings that we have if it's only, if it's, it's a closed circle? Like, we need to, we need to use the blessing of this family to extend grace to others. And um, at the time, I, th- I don't think we ended up having any internationals for that particular dinner, but... What's cool is uh, my parents now are hosting students in mm-hmm. their home, and they are on their third student, and that has lived with them for over a year each. So this is like the last three and a half years they've had. And these guys consider my parents their parents. Mm-hmm. You know, I meet with them 
and they'll 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 start referencing, oh, I need to talk to my mom. I need to let her know this, and I'll be like, wait, whose mom? Right. Are you, you talking my about, mom? Are you my, talking about my, my mom? mom? And that's what's. It, I'm almost like oh, a little. Ugh, I don't know about this because <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's yeah. like you know, and <laughs> some of these guys they get so attached to my parents, and you know they'll go shopping, and my my parents have never been blessed as abundantly. They'll come in with just bags of gifts for my mom on her birthday or Mother's Day or something, and and I'm like, oh, I got you a candle, mom. Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> oh, it smells good. <laughs> it smells good. <laughs> but um, anyway, it just speaks to I, I think that. Passages like that, which is which are actually all over Scripture, that everything God has done, it, it bring it's to bring glory to Himself among all peoples on mm-hmm. earth, and we we can miss that. So yep. that's good. Um, how can uh, how can people at Grace get involved with your ministry? What opportunities are there? Yeah, I mean, obviously, this last year has been tricky for everyone with COVID and trying to navigate activities and serving. Um, but I would say the, a couple significant ways are we're doing monthly activities now, um, with students, predominantly outdoor activities. And, um, those are open for anyone who would just like to come out and see what is it like to, to get involved with internationals, to serve, to befriend, that they're welcome to participate in those. Um, those are monthly. Last month we did an outdoor, a winter game day at a Metro Park in Berea. Um, there's also the opportunity to, um, yeah, uh, the Craniacs have been involved um, recently in, in two ways, actually, that I'll highlight. One was in December, and at the beginning of every semester, we have an influx of students who need temporary housing. So they need... They're, they're landing here. They don't know anyone, typically. they Maybe they have had some contact with an apartment complex, but they haven't signed a lease or anything. And so they need three to five days just to buy them a little bit of time to get on the ground, to sign the lease, to schedule a move-in day, to get a little bit of furniture. And that's where having a, a Christian family available to take them in for that three to five days um, can be a huge blessing. And, and I think... For the craniacs, it ended up being like 14 days, <laughs> but I would say that was kind of unusual. Uh, that was due to the craniacs' generosity. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to give the students a boot and just say, okay, it's time. Yep. We What we offer them typically is four days, and um, that is, is a way to begin a new relationship that will last all throughout the, the student's college career and maybe far beyond. Sure. So it's a great way to serve them. Um, and that's so, every December in what, like July or August? Exactly. Yeah, July or August, there'll be a huge mm-hmm. influx of students needing that kind of accommodation. And we're really just limited by the number of hosts we have. Yeah. Uh, there's there, there are students that would love this opportunity. Um, then the second thing we do, we do these monthly activities. Last month, there was a skiing event as well that um, the Cranex participated in. Uh, for give students a chance to learn how to ski at Boston Mills Brandywine. Uh, next month, we'll be taking them to Amish country. In May, we're we're t- looking to take a group of students to Florida, and we're going to stay at a YMCA camp just north of Orlando. And here, for for an opportunity like that, it's a week long trip. I recognize most people just don't have the vacation time or the energy to do something like that. But we're looking for Christians 
particularly young adults or or maybe young people who are just young at heart that college students college other? students 100%. This would be a great opportunity to almost do a domestic mission trip sure. because you're we're essentially going to pile in the van with, you know, 15 or 16 uh, international students and we're going to drive south and we're going to spend a week together making memories and we're going to have a devotion each day and what I'm actually limited on the number of students that I can take because I want to make sure that there's a balance of believers to non-believers because when you start talking about Florida, Florida beaches, spring break kind of language, you know, students have all kinds of perceptions of, oh, we're going to hit the clubs. We're going to, you know, and, and obviously we don't want to do that. So I need, I, I'm looking at like a one to two ratio yeah. of believer to non-believer where we can set the culture of the trip and we can say hey that that's not what we're about and we're telling people that up front but i need i need people on the ground with me to help create a culture of caring a community of of god kind of a god-fearing atmosphere and so i would love it to have more college students i'd love to have more singles 20s 30s and like even older young at heart people that that enjoy that kind of thing that would want to jump in a van and go go south with us yeah so those are a few ways the dinners, hosting dinners, was that one? Uh, it has in the past, I think. Yeah, we've done that in the past, and we will do it again probably this fall where students can sign up to have dinner in an American home. Sometimes we do that as just kind of a one, one or two students, one family. Sometimes we do a progressive dinner where we'll take a carload of students around to three different homes to get portions of their meal. That's always a lot of fun. That's a cool idea. Yeah. It's a really cool idea. Yeah, everybody everybody loves it. That's the thing. People, I think, are a little intimidated at first. I don't know what to say. Is it going to be awkward? You know, I've never talked to someone who was Hindu or I've never talked to a Muslim student. And they're just people. Yeah, yeah. And when you sit down with them and, you know, you just end up having great conversations. So. Great. Um, resources that have been meaningful to you just in uh, – you know, your own growth as a go person. Um, but uh, what resources are valuable to you that you would recommend uh, people take advantage of or read or, or listen to or what? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say the two most influential like pastors and, and leaders in my life have been John Piper and Tim Keller in terms of resources mm -hmm. um both of those guys i think john piper just creates the vision for the glory of god as being the central driving motivation of our lives and then keller i think is very good at at breaking down culture and how like you were mentioning earlier what does it mean to listen to the people that you're speaking to and then to engage them with the gospel in a way that is not just knocking people on the head with something but is actually speaking clearly so that they're they're getting what you're saying Keller has been really helpful to me in that. Um, there are great resources in terms of um, sharing with Muslims. There's a book called just called Engaging um, Islam by George Husney, who's a Lebanese evangelist, that I have found the, to be the best resource I've found on engaging Muslims. Right. There are a lot of good ones. Um, and I, I also would say anything on hospitality. I think hospitality is one of the most overlooked virtues christian virtues hmm. that when you start seeing in all of scripture 
this theme of hospitality, even from the garden. If you look at the garden as a place where God brought Adam, and it was a place of presence, where God's presence was there, and it was a place of provision, where God provided um, the fruit trees and, and, and what and for all of Adam's needs. That's a vision of hospitality that it, the Bible begins with hospitality and it ends with hospitality of God inviting us again to his table. And I think it's, it's just really overlooked in our culture. I think we, in Western society, there's a syncreti- is it syncretism? Sync something? Yep, syncretism. <laughs> Syncret- syncretism, mm-hmm. where we see it in other cultures where we say, oh, you're, you're merging some of your culture with the gospel. We see it in others, but we don't see it in ourselves. And there is an individualism and a self-orientation in, and a busyness, an emphasis on productivity rather than presence and, and relationship in, a, in Western society that I am convinced is utterly unbiblical. It, it, I, I think it, it's just the air we breathe, sure. and so busyness doesn't seem to be a problem for us but when you look at christ he was never hurried (laughs) there was there was this groundedness about him in the way he approached life that he recognized he can't do everything and he was in the moment with people in a way that other cultures sometimes are more comfortable with and um so i think anything on hospitality and doing hospitality well and 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 just sl- slowing down. There's a book I read recently called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Mm. And it was helpful for me hmm. in that regard. Great. Well, guys, any other follow-up questions maybe you want to throw out? Um, we have some shotgun questions that are just random um, that will throw your way, just help people get to know you a little more. Um, any other thing you guys want to ask? No, I'm good. I'm I'm ready for the shotgun. Yeah, All right. Yeah. Quick fire. Quick fire. Yeah, Here we go. Quiet. Get, get get ready. <laughs> just absorbing. Yeah. Just, just <laughs> good. Um. So, favorite ice cream at Mitchell's. Mitchell's. Oh, that that used to be butter pecan, and then I'm I'm now lactose intolerant. Oh no. Can't handle oh. it. So favorite the, sorbet the at Mitchell's. Vegan? No, the vegan salted caramel. Pecan is is very good. All right. Oh. Favorite menu item at Chipotle? Okay, that is definitely a... You want to know the ingredients of it? No, the whole thing, man. Yeah. No, the whole no, thing. No, no, white, no. white or uh, brown rice? Beans or no beans? <laughs> definitely white rice, black beans, fajita, oh, he's chicken or steak, guacamole. Burrito or bowl or salad? I go with the burrito. burrito. We feed our, our whole family for $17 at chipotle we yep. have it down wow that's impressive yeah that's w- one of my sons yeah <laughs> my wife and i split a burrito my 10 and 8 year old split a burrito and then my daughter gets a kid's meal kids cheese quesadilla for 325 perfect 1725 we can eat you got it down nice. wow favorite book of the bible the psalms all right favorite book outside of the bible or we could do the one you're currently reading Yeah, let me think about that for just one second. Okay, so Martin Lloyd-Jones, Spiritual Depression, 
is and it, the name is terrible <laughs> because but that's what it is it, it it's, it's terrible but it is actually about what does it mean to live as a christian 